Hello everyone, this is not the 200th episode yet. Recently, I have an interesting conversation on China Tech Talk podcast hosted by John Altman from TechNote and Matthew Brennan from ChinaChannel.co. We discussed the entrance of Alibaba and Tencent in Southeast Asia and how this region will be the battleground between Alibaba, Tencent and Amazon in the next decade. One more thing, you should check out John and Matthew's podcast China Tech Talk on iTunes and Overcast. As it is rare for me to be on the other side of the microphone, probably the upcoming episode 200, and I hope that you will enjoy this special episode. Welcome to China Tech Talk, a weekly discussion of technology and startups here in China. I'm John Artman, Editor-in-Chief of TechNode, and as always, I'm joined by Matthew Brennan, founder of China Channel. And this week, we're talking with Bernard Leong, who is the, the host of um, Analyze Asia, uh, and he also works at um, Singapore Post, or sometimes referred to as SingPost, which is um, one of Singapore's largest uh, logistics companies. And you know, Bernard has a really interesting, interesting background. Um, you know, he he has a PhD in in physics, and um, and Matt, as I understand it, he's also a drone expert. Yeah, right. So I've I've known Bernard for a bit. I've I've been on his podcast a couple of times. Bernard is fantastic. He's got like a really deep and broad knowledge of what's going on across Southeast Asia. Um, and that's what we're talking to him about today. Uh, his podcast is fantastic. Uh, and we'll talk about it at the end. If you guys want, if any listeners want to follow that, I'd, I'd strongly recommend it. Um, and what he can bring to the table here and why we've, we've got him on is that, uh, you know, he's heavily, he follows, you know, how the Chinese companies are moving into this key new, it's not even new anymore, but it's a key battleground globally um, of, of the Southeast Asian region. And uh, it's moving extremely fast. There's big deals going on. Um, and we're looking at it, we're covering it very broadly, actually, I think, Um Probably, I would like to have Bernard on again, maybe in the future, and have go a bit, you know, into one or, or two of these areas in a bit more detail. Yeah, definitely. Um, because there's so much going on. I mean, we're really talking about um, across all, all of the tech giants here. How, what's their strategy? How are they moving into this new region? Who are they partnering with? And what are the deals that are being done, and why? And, uh, and and Bernard's got like amazing insights into what's going on. He's really, you know, he's deep, he's deeply involved in, in, in some of these deals. Well, exactly. I mean, Alibaba is, uh, is a major investor in, in SingPost, um, which Bernard reminds us of uh, very, very um, soon on, early on in the episode. But I think that that's, that's one of those things because he, he's seeing all of this, this firsthand, like he, his, his hands, um, you know, are, are, he's, he's getting his hands dirty with all of this. And so, uh, because of that, his perspective is um, is is very very unique. But yeah, as as Matt, as you said, I mean, we talked about a lot, and certainly we're going to be getting uh, Bernard on again sometime in the future to go a little bit deeper on some of these specific verticals, and in, in particular, uh, e-commerce and and mobile payments, two areas where um, where Alibaba and Tencent are um, gaining a lot of traction in in the area. Yeah, and when we look at this on a high level, you know, this is really where the rubber meets the road in terms of uh, the U.S. tech giants and the China tech giants fighting it out on a global stage. Exactly, exactly. So without further ado, we give you Bernard Leong. All right, well, Bernard, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us. Thank you for the invitation to come on Tech Talk China. Very honored to do so. I'm Bernard Leung, and I'm the founder of Analyze Asia Podcast. My corporate day job is a senior executive in Singapore Post as the head of the Post Office Network and Digital, and is invested by the Alibaba Group. And hence, my personal disclaimer before I start talking to you both is that I'm speaking in my personal capacity, and my comments do not reflect any organization I work or invest in. Hence, for Alibaba Group, what I'll be relaying will be mostly public information. Sounds great. So, perfect. Mm -hmm. um, so, so Bernard, before we get into um, the real the real meat of the discussion, you know, you're you're based in Singapore, but um, you know what we're talking about today is 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 very China focused. Um, so, tell us what's what's your China story? Well, I have been a keen observer of the China internet and mobile ecosystem, and through Analyze Asia, I've interviewed many people from China. I think Matthew has been on my show, and John, you're mm -hmm. always welcome to be on. Uh, I'm very, I've also been um, doing a lot of testing with China mobile apps, particularly WeChat, Alipay, 
And I've been trying to see how some of this UI can actually be mapped into Southeast Asia tech ecosystem as well. And I've visited China many, many times and been to TechCrunch Beijing conference before as well. So that's my China story, if you ask me. Well, that's, that's great. So how often, how often do you get a chance to come over here? I think it's about once a year. Um, the last time I was, I've been here was actually to Hangzhou to visit the Alibaba headquarters uh, to meet with people from AliCloud and Alipay. And boy, what an amazing experience I have going through every place without spending a single Chinese yuan or renminbi, we call it. Mm-hmm. And I speak Mandarin, by the way. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, and so you know, a lot of um, a lot of Singaporeans, you know, can trace their can trace their heritage um, back back actually to to China. I um, mean, have you have you done that? Do you know Do you know kind of kind of where where you're from in general? Yes, uh, my family um, came from Guangzhou, which is the south of China, and we have a family home, and we still trace our genealogy back then. I came from a very traditional Chinese family. Actually, I learned Chinese calligraphy before I hold the English pen. And I'm pretty well versed in most of the Tang and Song dynasty poetry, and also read up many of the Chinese books. Um, there was a time where my Chinese were far more superior than my English until I started doing a PhD in physics in Cambridge. And then by the time that happened, China is now a big economic power and that's the best surprise now I have to go back and relearn all the Chinese that I have uh, almost returned back in the early years of my life. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, you, you shouldn't have gone to England, Bernard. Terrible place. <laughs> Awful people. <laughs> Bernard, you're an expert in, in this area. You're based in Singapore and uh, it's a really, really broad region, um, very diverse. Um, and we, you know, we, we, we focus on, on Chinese uh, tech companies. Um, so if you could just give us uh, you know, a, the broad strokes of um, which countries in general in this region that Chinese companies, uh, tech companies are focusing on and why, uh, and if some insights into the reasons uh, and the factors, whether that's political, social, economic, of, of why they're focusing on those particular areas. Maybe to give an overview to start off, most Chinese companies have been focusing on building their regional headquarters in Singapore, starting in the late part of the 2000, the year 2000, somewhere between 2005 to 2006, with Huawei and Lenovo, similar to most US and European companies. Subsequently, using Singapore as a beach hedge because it's a very small market of 5 million people, they start mm. to move across the fragmented markets into Southeast Asia, which that would include Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines, etc. For the BAT, they have been in Singapore since 2012 by building up the regional HQ and have been very patient with this market. So most people will think that it's mainly Alibaba and Tencent, but Baidu was actually the first to come into the region. Baidu came into 2002 with building a research center with the Institute of Infocom Research, or we call I2R, under the Agency of Science, Technology and Research, ASTAR, Singapore. So they have not done much since then, except trialing a wallet service in Thailand. By 2015, you actually have Xiaomi entering the region with their Mi phones and doing flash sales in different parts of Southeast Asia that include Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and then to India. In the ride-sharing space, of course, this year, Didi has partnered with Grab and is also an investor. Until 2017, uh, Ofo and Mobile are actually in town with their bicycle sharing, again, starting from Singapore. So lately, the regional markets actually have been of greater interest to the Chinese companies. Most Southeast Asia countries are very friendly to the US and now Chinese technology companies. Hence, the direct route is usually for them to go to Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia, and Philippines. Everywhere else in Southeast Asia is secondary. So those are those are the big ones population wise, right? Once you use the Singapore's the beachhead because of the infrastructure and uh, I imagine the legal infrastructure and the, uh, and the development there. Mm. But then they're moving in the second stages to move into the into the larger population markets, broadly speaking, right? Mm. I can actually give you an overview about Southeast Asia. First of all, Southeast Asia is a diverse region with the following nations: Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, Myanmar, Indonesia. Malaysia, Singapore, Philippines, East Timor, and Brunei. So the total population stands at about 597 million people, with mm-hmm. Indonesia having about a total of 258 million people spread across the archipelago of islands, followed by Philippines, which is about 102 million. So these are the two largest population states. 
the economies are actually at different stages. The region is mm. fragmented with different countries that are at different stages of their development. For example, we have a very developed market like Singapore that's similar to any city in the US like New York, San Francisco, or in the Europe, which is like London, Paris, emerging economies like Indonesia, which is very similar to Brazil, China, or India. And then you have frontier economies, which is like Myanmar, we have just opened up. The political situations are also very different across the region uh, and are less volatile today and vary from country to country. I, I'm sure Thailand is currently being run by under military leadership and Myanmar has transitioned to civil leadership with the famous Aung San Suu Kyi and has gone from something like 300k smart to 30 million smartphones from 2014 to today. And lately there's been some change in the political uh, scene in Southeast Asia. Most political leaders in Southeast Asia, for example, Najib in Malaysia, Jokowi in Indonesia and Duarte in Philippines are now very pro-China rather than they are pro-US traditionally. Yeah, so having gone the financial crisis that happened in 1997, uh, the economic growth situation around the region has actually recently been invigorated by the entry of Chinese government and money. The major economies are actually uh, agriculture, for example, Indonesia and Thailand, while some cities such as uh, Kuala Lumpur, Jakarta, Singapore are actually business centers for the region with Singapore being the most stable financial center. Typically, most investments are now done in Singapore's jurisdiction with the companies in Indonesia or Malaysia registered in Singapore for two reasons. Singapore has zero capital gains tax. Uh, even for India unicorns like Paytm and Flipkart, they are registered in Singapore. And Singapore respects intellectual property and have a free trade agreement with the US. So the region has actually grouped themselves into an association called ASEAN. So when you hear the word ASEAN, which is Association of Southeast Asian Nations, it's synonymous with Southeast Asia. So they are hoping to work out an economic free trade zone, which is very similar to the European Union. And then when you take a look at the market, based on the Tamasic and Google report in 2016, they projected about a 200 billion economy by 2025 with e-commerce based on the existing internet users of 260 million that will grow to 480 million by 2020. So the three fastest growing areas in Southeast Asia now is e-commerce, we were 32% of uh, CAGR, uh, CAGR we call it. Online media is about 18%, travel is about 15% CAGR. So the three factors driving this growth actually is very simple. You have a young population with 70% under the age of 40. Mm. And the second is that there's a lack of big box retail. As a comparison, just to think about this is Southeast Asia retail stores is about per capita is about one third of the US. And of course, um, rapidly growing middle class, particularly in Indonesia and Philippines. Sounds very much like China in the year 1990s to 2000, right? Yeah, mm. yeah, that's one of the things that I, that, I, that it seems like that one of the bigger trends here. Um, when, whenever I hear people in China talk about Southeast Asia, one of the things they almost always mention is that, you know, Southeast Asia is like China 10 years ago. And as you just said, I mean, 70% of, uh, of the population are under 40 years old. And so, you know, you look at a lot of the economic growth and especially the, the growth in consumption in China. And a lot of that has been, you know, what, what economists call the demographic dividend. And so you have um, a bunch of young people um, becoming middle class, becoming more affluent. And so, of course, they're going to be looking for ways to spend that money. Mm. So the infrastructure piece in Southeast Asia is very interesting now. So it varies from country to country, but it's largely underdeveloped based on the landmass and population demographic. So with the upcoming One Belt, One Road initiative and the Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank, so China will actually transform this region with a lot of logistics connectivity and will mm. greatly improve the supply chain, whether it's in the transportation and logistics industry. So the One Belt, One Road actually affects the entire region because Chinese is actually building ports in Malaysia, Pakistan, and potentially in Thailand and Philippines. Um, but even though these infrastructures are in place, uh, some things like payment infrastructure is actually not so good because each country has its own national payment gateway. For example, Singapore has Nets, which Alibaba route through with Alipay. Um, as for the investment side, investors in Southeast Asia generally favored sustainable business profitability over growth. And hence, a lot of local startups actually find it very hard to scale with a very few exceptions, such as Grab and uh, Gojek, for example. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Um, you've given us a broad picture of the mm. of the uh, entire region there, mm. but I touched on a lot of different factors. Um, let's focus on a couple of specific industries, perhaps. Uh, we'll start with like um, handset manufacturers. 
sure. Um, there's a lot of big brands, Chinese brands in this area, Huawei, Oppo, Vivo. Um, how are these guys doing? Uh, I know what I've seen on the ground, but uh, tell us what, you, what you're seeing. So the results are very varied. The key brands which we know are actually doing well are currently Oppo and Vivo, Xiaomi, Huawei, and Lenovo. But they're still miles away against Samsung in the emerging and frontier markets and Apple in the developed markets. In the growing emerging markets, I would say Oppo is now number two in Indonesia and Vietnam. Huawei's P8 is now the hottest phone in Myanmar. And based on just looking at smartphone uh, generation by using like, there's actually less than 5% now in 2.5G, but it's split between 40% 3G and 45% to 4G. So what it's saying is that a lot of these countries have actually leaped into the 4G. And what the Chinese uh, smartphone manufacturing OEMs are going to benefit from is the leapfrogging. And actually, you're going to see most of these Chinese handsets, which are actually about three, 400 US dollars cheaper, will become more favorable to the to the local population. And hence, um, the common de lowest denominator for smartphone pricing today is only about US $150 per handset. And it's also the, the way how it's being sold to the customers is actually very different. Yeah, so I'm curious. I mean, so so what what is what are their strategies? What are Chinese brands' strategies? Is it is it is it mostly just competing on price, or or are they are they able to differentiate in some other way? So they do two things: they compete on price. They definitely have to partner with the local telcos. For example, if you were to come to Singapore, you probably have to partner with Singtel. You go to Malaysia, you partner with DG. You go to Indonesia, it would be Telkomsel. And usually it could be a leasing model. Basically, you sell it very, very cheap, and then you get it back through installments with the user with services bundled on top of that. So, so, But lately, you can see a lot of, if you were to go to the movies and watch the advertisements, you're seeing more and more Chinese OEMs pop uh, advertising their brands like for example you have huawei using scarlett johansson you have you know the oppo vivo uh, stores popping up in some of these but mainly actually through third-party retailers uh, across different markets uh, i've seen some of these actually happening in malaysia indonesia and thailand when i'm traveling that's, that's that's kind of interesting because it sounds like they're they're not. I mean, in terms of in terms of marketing, at least, it seems like they're 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 using um, a broader global strategy with this. You know, because Scarlett Johansson for Huawei, you know, that was obviously you know something that they're 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 using all around the world. Um, and then you know, Oppo and Vivo going you know through through the sit through like an on the ground sales network. That sounds really similar to what what they're doing in China. Um, so, so what about what about um, other other big brands? I mean, obviously, you know, you mentioned Baidu um, has 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 um, came into the region fairly early. Um, they don't seem to to be doing very well. But what about you know them and Alibaba and and Tencent? Mm, I, I think it may be easier for me to first talk about Alibaba. What the, mm. what are they focusing on and who they are partnering and why? So, if you look at Alibaba across Southeast Asia, they are focused on three major services: e-commerce, cloud computing, and logistics. Um, full disclosure, I work for Sing Singapore Post. They invested in Singapore Post and now have about 14.2% ownership with Singtel being the largest shareholder at 22% to focus on building their outbound e-commerce logistics across the region. Uh, mm -hmm. Lazada, which is similar, the Amazon clone that's made by the notorious Samuel Brothers with Rocket Internet. Um, with Alibaba's acquisition, uh, they've, Alibaba have acquired in 2000, early 2016, they have invested uh, $1 billion in April 2016 at a valuation of US 1.5 billion, almost getting 75% ownership. And then subsequently injected recently this year at 1 billion at a valuation of 3.15 uh, valuation. So making them actually now the largest controlling shareholders of Lazada. Uh, they have also done a lot of work in helping Lazada to achieve operational efficiency, things that they have done in China that have made them very successful. Uh, the only people who actually kept the remaining stock in the Lazada is actually the sovereign wealth fund Tomasic Holdings in Singapore, which is which is pretty well known across the world, and the Lazada management team. So do note that uh, one thing, Tomasic and the Government Investment Corporation of Singapore, otherwise known as GIC, are institutional investors to Alibaba, who actually bought up about 10 billion worth of shares from SoftBank last year. So there's actually a government uh, uh, in. Uh, there's also government, government, Singapore government ownership as well. Lazada has actually bought out Redmart, the local e-commerce that focus on fresh foods, and they're rapidly growing that side of the business with more coverage in Singapore. You can actually see that the logistics is growing. But there is also a recent uh, 
a lot of attention brought into Malaysia and Indonesia. In Malaysia, they're building a logistics hub near Kuala Lumpur and linking it to Hangzhou through the One Belt One Road, providing early cloud support to Malaysia to support small medium businesses and integrating the path from Malaysia to Singapore. And with Indonesia, Jack Ma, the current chairman of the Alibaba Group, is the e-commerce advisor to the Indonesian government, and they are actively moving inroads into Indonesia with local partners there as well. On the Ali cloud side, which is in, which is something that very few people talk about, they've expanded to Asia Pacific, offering their cloud services, and their, their global cloud computing market share is actually 5%, which is only 1% below Microsoft, based on a recent Wall Street Journal report. The Ali cloud team has actually partnered mainly with the local telcos in the Southeast Asia, uh, for example, Singtel and regional companies to sell their cloud services. I think their biggest coverage is actually now in Australia and New Zealand as well. Uh, last but not least, Alipay. So they started routing their payments through Nets in Singapore, and now they're working. That's owned by a consortium of local banks. Now they're working with Lazada to bring it into the other regions where payments infrastructure are still at their infancy. And if you watch very carefully what Alibaba does, they usually partner with two companies that, is of, uh, that are titans. One of them is SoftBank, uh, who's uh, in, also an institutional investor of Alibaba, and the other is Tomasic Holdings. And they have been following them at least with things like startup investments and very major private equity deals as well. So that's that, that's super interesting, and so it sounds like in 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 many ways, and we'll talk about Tencent in a minute. But it sounds like in terms of um, e-commerce and 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 payments, Alibaba is is really kind of um, you know cover like taking up a lot of market share very quickly. Yes, and actually recently I've been observing that a lot of the retail chain sites are actually. Ex- uh, experimenting on QR codes, it seems that there may be also a drive to actually get payments through QR codes with Alipay. And I think one of the things, uh, Alipay has been extended a lot more with retail stores in Singapore now as compared to maybe the past one year ago, mm-hmm. just by observation. Do you, do you have any um, like observations or data on adoption of, of Alipay uh, across the region? So the bad news is that we don't have that because I think uh, Alipay has only really started marketing themselves only in the last one year to, or two. Uh, but I'm actually also anxiously uh, want to find out from companies like IDC whether what's the adoption about Alipay and Tencent. I suspect that a significant usage actually is coming from the mainland Chinese who are residing in Singapore. Yeah. So I'm curious though, in terms of in terms of e-commerce, um, is there is there anyone that that can really challenge Alibaba in in Southeast Asia right now? So you you have you probably have heard from John Russell, our good friend who came to your show recently, that Amazon has actually planning to launch this quarter. Uh, some say it's actually in the midst of the next few days. So uh, Amazon is probably one big competitor. There is another potential competitor that's coming in, and I think that they have beginning to extend their footprint. Is a company we are going to talk about in your, in the next part of this conversation, which is Tencent. And Tencent have, have actually recently entered into this region with also a lot of uh, investment. And I think they are also planning part of their expansion focus is also on e-commerce as well. Okay, well, let's cover Tencent next then, I guess. So the obvious <laughs> ones to go with. Okay. Um, well, what are Tencent doing, Bernard? Okay, so I'm going to start off by making one disclaimer. I've listened to your last episode with John Russell. He spent a lot of significant time on one of your recent episodes talking about Tencent's influence in India. So I'm not going to elaborate on that. Mm-hmm. Tencent has only recently came into Southeast Asia and is now a competitor against Alibaba and Amazon in terms of market expansion and startup investments. They have invested in messaging apps that is similar to their WeChat app, for example, Kakao Talk in South Korea. Line in Japan, Hike in India, and they are partnered with their largest institutional investor, the Nespers Group, which is a South African media group that has actually influential in Southeast Asia, but very low key. Just to give you some sense of what Nespers have done, Nespers have invested in a Bitcoin blockchain company called Coins.ph. They have invested, they are investors of Flipkart, and they, uh, which explained why Tencent gone in with a recent one billion round with. Uh, Microsoft and eBay into the India e-commerce company. But Tencent has actually invested in a company in Southeast Asia called Garena, now known as C. 
SEA, which is originally a gaming company that provides uh, services for gamers with all the major titles like the League of Legends, etc. And now it this Garena has have actually expanded into financial services with a payment service that they have called Garena Pay and also e-commerce with an app called Shopee. And it's actually a, another potential integration point for Tencent. And by the way, Garena is planning to file for public IPO in in either, I think it's New York Stock Exchange this year. So it is very likely that with Tencent's also recent investment with Gojek, where they injected 500 uh, million USD into Indonesia, they maybe want to plan to find a way to integrate WeChat with Gojek, or they bring uh, JD or what we think Dong soon into the this competitive lens, e-commerce landscape as well. Yeah, I think JD would be, uh, along with Amazon, you know, not wanting to let Alibaba take too much of a lead in the region. Yes, so it becomes a three-way fight now. So we really do not know who is going to come up the strongest as well. Mm. So what do you think about this? So we, when we talk about Chinese tech companies, I, I know we've, you've also mentioned uh, Baidu. Um, I don't know if we want to cover that. Perhaps, perhaps we cover that in a bit more detail. You know, what, what are Baidu doing? Um, well, Leonard, just a quick, quick summary. So pretty quick summary. After they did the research center, they have actually not been very active in the region. I think a lot of Baidu's efforts now is actually split between China and Silicon Valley, uh, mainly focused on the AI. I think in terms of a business, they are rarely seen in the Southeast Asia region. It's almost like they do not want to come here to compete. In the same space, I guess Google has a major dominance in Southeast Asia. And if Baidu still think that they have a shot, I think it's actually quite an open market for them as well. Okay, so they're, they're focusing more on the states. So if we look at the two giants, Tencent and Alibaba, then um, you know they've got very different strategies. Obviously, who's being, who's got the better strategy? Who's better place to 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 gain big success in the market? You think? So I'm probably going to say this. I'm not the best person to comment on who's smarter and who will win in the end, because both Alibaba and Tencent have very smart people working for them. But what I can say is the following. Both companies are not just coming in with the investment money, but also with their expertise. So both are actually placed to actually gain great success, but they have only one major competitor and that's Amazon. So uh, Alibaba Group owns Lazada and Redmart, while Tencent has Gojek and Garena, AKC, which is slated to IPO. So, and they might also bring JD into the region. So they are both place to actually make this market a Waterloo for Amazon, who has not lost before in any of their market expansion so far in Asia, which is Japan and India. So whether they will collaborate to fend off Amazon first, that is my first question to ask mm. as well. Mm. Yeah, just to give you one example, recently uh, Amazon's entrance strategy into Southeast Asia is actually starting with Amazon Prime. So recently Lazada, Netflix and Uber created a combined package called Live.com .sg in Singapore, but which I think is going to expand to the region, which is totally similar to the Amazon Prime services. I know that Amazon has actually been building their capabilities quietly in Singapore, but similar to Alibaba and Tencent, they will expand very rapidly into Malaysia and Indonesia very quickly. That's uh, that's that's super interesting because Amazon, you know, I was talking the other day about Amazon to someone. Amazon's one of the is is the is the red hot company right now, right? Every they're like the new Apple, and um, that the they have a level of ruthlessness that is, uh, you know, puts them on the same level as the Chinese, I feel. Um, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Tencent and Alibaba would team up. You know, we've seen them do this uh, over DD. That's right. And actually what was what I've been observing, what Amazon is doing in Asia, particularly with Japan and India, is pretty interesting. So let me just give this additional point here. In India, they were fed, they were fighting against Flipkart and Snapdeal, which is actually invested by Alibaba and Tencent. What became interesting is that Amazon started off building their own capabilities and actually basically defeated both companies at one go, forcing them now to talk about things like merger because the operational efficiency is just plain superior. And what is more interesting is the guy who hits up Amazon India is actually the former chief of staff or what in the information called the shadow of Jeff Bezos, meaning that he, he, if he wants any resources in India, he gets it done. And I think he, Amazon has already plowed about $2 billion into India. And I think they're probably going to be bringing another billion into the Southeast Asia region. So as I have observed, even with Japan, how they have 
uh, clobbered Rakuten, which is the largest e-commerce marketplace for Japan, it seems that Amazon seems to be unstoppable. So maybe Southeast Asia is this new battleground that actually we could see a real uh, title challenge of whether they, who is going to be the king of the hill in e-commerce. Right. I mean, the Chinese companies have the advantage that I think there's, it's a it's a market that's very close, physically close, but also close in terms of um, the, the the user habits and as we, as we've already mentioned, being quite similar to China, um, you know, uh, five ten years ago. Um, but then Amazon just seems to be this unstoppable train right now that 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 this that nobody can can get in the way of of, of their strategies. Um, yeah, I, I think I think I could I could definitely see them teaming up. I think the Chinese companies are incredibly practical, right? The the uh, and, and and the echoes of what happened, you know, Uber in, with the ride sharing thing. It's the same thing almost. The Uber is a, a very aggressive American company, um, and and so there's a clear president here. So I guess I mean one of the one of the interesting things, and so looking at you know why why Chinese companies are um, moving into the Southeast Asian market so so quickly and aggressively. I mean, do you, do you think it is? I mean, obviously geography is there, um, the market is there, but what about, what about culture? Is there is, is are they are they successful in part because of a of a of a shared cultural background? Mm, my perspective is actually slightly different. Not so much about culture is that it's a very open market to the US and Chinese companies, similar to India, where people are very friendly to technologies from US and China. In fact, this is the market that's more of a fast following type than an innovator if you compare against the Northeast Asia countries, such as Japan and Korea, which are nationalistic, but have better innovation capabilities. So to give you an example, what people do not know that when Facebook was still a nascent company, their second largest growth was actually from Southeast Asia and not Europe. Most Southeast Asia countries might have different cultural values and there's also a significant group of overseas Chinese who are living in these countries. They have a shared history only with mainland China in the older generation of people, probably my fathers, my grandfathers, but less mm. for the current generation uh, who do not view China the same way as my forefathers do. And they are very greatly influenced by the US media. But where I thought it's interesting that the Chinese are actually leading currently in Southeast Asia is actually in the fintech space with the adoption thing of things like QR codes, with the adoption of things like WeChat, mobile wallets, you know, uh, DD, Quidi, right, and Ofo Mobile, because it seems that these innovations are coming faster to the region as compared to the US innovations. This is something that I think is only shifting in the last one, two years, which I've not seen before happening in the region. We usually wait for the latest uh, hype coming from the US, but very rarely now, Actually, now we're seeing a lot more hype coming from China. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think the mobile payments and uh, you know payments over messaging apps, if it really fits the region, I think, in terms of that people don't have the um, the the infrastructure around credit and debit cards is 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 uh, weaker than and less developed and less developed as a as a, as a user habit as well, um, broadly speaking, when compared to the, the States or Europe. And, uh, and also, you know, this is in terms of people's experience being primarily a mobile experience, right? I think there's that similarity as well. Mm. Whereas, you know, a lot of people in Southeast Asia would not be experiencing the internet from the, a laptop or, or from, from a desktop, the, their first experience would also be from mobile. And this is something that sets China apart from, from the States quite clearly. And it's a kind of shared, a shared experience between these two regions. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, in, in particular, you know, with um, with the differences in the in the way that that people um, and their 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 user their habits and things like that. But Bernard, I'm, I'm curious. And so we talked about culture, but what about what about regulation? You mentioned that that in general, you know, the people living in in this region are, are very welcoming to Chinese companies and, and the products that they're providing. But what about mm -hmm. what about the governments? Are are they in terms of regulation, in terms of policy, are they fairly welcoming as well? Mm, I thought you are going to have this question. So at the moment, it's pretty interesting. So one of the things that actually that many governments are having dispute with China is actually on the South China Sea uh, that across nations in Southeast Asia, you hear it from the Western media, you hear it from the Chinese media. But for the regulation side, um, each country regulation differs pretty significantly. But one of the things that's pretty common is that a lot of countries lately have actually starting to relax their regulation on 
foreign ownership. So for example, Indonesia today only allowed 51% to be owned by local and 49% foreign if you buy into any company there. It is a pretty implicit rule and it's not normally fleshed out in the open that any local company must own 50% of themselves or, or joint venture with a foreign company or the foreign company must own the minority. So these are very subtle things that actually has been there a lot. Um, in terms of some other regulation, like uh, I think Southeast Asia, the ASEAN region is now trying to create what is called a common free trade zone to actually try to take away some of these barriers, particularly in the uh, customs in terms of the, because that has a great effect on transportation and logistics. But you're also seeing some pushbacks in terms of uh, local protectionism. Um, one thing that's been, I've watched actually is that Vietnam has actually organized a boycott of Tencent's WeChat. And because they have their own WeChat clone that's done called Zello, that's owned by VNG, mm -hmm. which is the equivalent of Tencent in Vietnam. And yeah. they are a market of about 60 million people. And then you're seeing Malaysia, which is showing signs because uh, the Chinese companies actually have free reign to operate the ports with only mainland Chinese and not with locals. So um, if your locals do not benefit from the, from the economy or the investments that bring in by the Chinese, then it will actually have some issues maybe way down the line. And I think the coming Malaysia elections will pretty, be pretty interesting. But as far as business is concerned, the environment is actually very favorable for Chinese companies to enter because I think one of the things that the Chinese have been doing very well, uh, particularly with the Chinese government doing the one by one road with the Malaysian, Indonesian and Philippine governments, they actually helped to change the perception of Chinese being very aloof in the North. They actually say that, hey, they're here to help us to build our infrastructure and hence, you know, we should help them too. So you're going to see a lot more openness and probably a lot more friendship with Chinese companies as compared to the US companies, because I think US have retreated uh, by just canceling the TPP trade agreement. Interesting. So yeah, everything in the region has a political edge as well when we talk about China, for sure. Mm. Um, looking forward, Bernard, uh, and I know you, you can't give away too much because you, you do have uh, some, some uh, and probably some information that you, you can't say, but if it, you know, what deals, what deals can we expect um, looking forward in this region uh, with regard to Chinese tech companies in the next, say, half year to a year? Mm. The best way to see what Alibaba and Tencent is doing is to look at what their investors are actually looking at now. So, for example, let me, if I were to try to see where Alibaba is going to play, I will look carefully at what SoftBank and Tamasek are doing on a strategic level because it will give you an indication on where the Alibaba group will go. For Tencent, you will be looking at the Nespers group, which actually have a very strong influence in the region, but they're very little talked about by many people. So with Amazon's entrance, it's actually interesting. So in the old days, Alibaba can buy companies on the cheap. But I think with Tencent's entry, the pricing is going to change. And they're actually trying to focus on some of these Southeast Asia companies that are still adjacent to their core competencies. And that's where I would look. So uh, there's a company very similar. Raymart has been acquired by Lazada. There's a similar company to Raymart called Happy Fresh, which actually is the same version of Raymart, but it's actually in Indonesia, Thailand, and Philippines. So would it become a part of the shopping list to these companies? Because now there are two bidders instead of one, or even three bidders instead of one. That would be something I would look quite closely to. Do you think there's going to be any big deals? That, is it going to be a sort of slow acquisition of, of deals or do you, is, is there going to be a game-changing deal in the next in, in the next uh, you know six to 12 months you think are there is there a possibility that there could be some big money thrown down in this region i think there will be a big major acquisition deals coming from tencent less from alibaba where i'm actually seeing a lot in in just looking publicly at what lazada redmart is doing there's a lot more focus on consolidation and competing with amazon on e-commerce but you know their corporate dev teams are actually always on the road, on the ball. So they, they they might probably just spring a surprise before you would know it, right? I I I I see that uh, Nespers Group actually would look at the same areas that Tencent would look at, and there's one area that we know that Tencent is actually very influential, and they have recently invested in a gaming company. Um, I forgot the name of it, but. 
Tencent was also involved because the Nesper Group was involved. So you could even see that there may be something like a big deal that might happen for in the gaming space. To give you one example, so it's been rumored that Amazon actually wanted to acquire Garena, which was invested by Tencent because of it's the way how it actually helps gamer to do lead, uh, leaderboards and also managing um, the gamers' video videos, very similar to what Twitch is in the US. So Amazon wanted to use, the, the rumor was that the acquisition was actually meant to be able to get this particular, to get to enable Twitch to actually expand into the region, but the acquisition didn't happen. So now the region is going public. So there may be, it, but it could be still on the market anytime soon, right? So we don't mm-hmm. know. And probably these will be the areas I will look quite closely into. Bryn, one, one thing that, um, that that I'm really kind of curious about, and so we talked a lot about uh, big companies, but what about what about startups? I mean, like, what how how, how what does the startup ecosystem system look like? And 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 as you said, I mean, like, it's one of the one of the big things that's becoming clear is that you know Southeast Asia as a region, it's actually each separate country is actually quite quite different, different markets, different regulations, um, different attitudes. Um, so, but what about what about the start, startup ecosystem, and how does how does how does that look right now? I think the startup ecosystem, primarily most of the venture capital money is actually going from Singapore outwards into the region. So you're going to see more startup investments in Philippines, Indonesia, Thailand, and Malaysia. Whereas because Singapore is a small market, if a startup ever comes up from Singapore, it will try to expand itself very rapidly into the region. Mm. Um, where is becoming interesting, I thought, in the last few years, if I were to look at, for example, Grab, which is similar to Didi and Uber, um, they are actually being invested by Alibaba um, and SoftBank and also Didi. And what is interesting is that you, you're seeing this kind of alliances going into these hot startups. For example, Gojek is actually done by Tencent, for example. And then you see Garena was actually backed by Tencent. But in the midst of all these, you start seeing some other things. Like Grab is also funded by 500 startups. Vertex Ventures, which is the VCM of Tomasic. If you look at Gojek, it includes shareholders like KKR, Warburg, and NSI Ventures. And then you look at, say, Garena is actually led by two big billionaires. One is Martin Hatono, which is Indonesia's richest man, backed Garena. And JG Summit Holdings that's owned by Philippines billionaire John Kokongwe. So... They also have investors that include Kazana, which is Malaysia's version of Tomasic Sovereign Fund and General Atlantic Partners. So, you know, there seems to be where the big money is going to the high growth startups. They are just that few groups of people. You you, you, you wouldn't miss anything. And it's, I haven't really done this map, but if I were to hazard a very uh, intellectual guess, I think A and T are almost synonymous in some of these deals of these high growth startups. But in the low... In the new, in the seed and series A stage, you don't see their activity. It's more the local venture capital that's actually doing most of the work there. Yeah, and of course that that that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, that's that that that's how a lot of a lot of markets work, where you have you know these um, these smaller these smaller uh, firms or or funds that are are really kind of placed to make to make fairly small bets um, in a lot of different companies, and, and hopefully that that one of them one of them will will grow um, to get the interest of you know a BAT or or of a large a larger um, institutional in, in investor. And that you know, is there any? I think. Yeah, just uh, you know, from a story from your own personal experience or something like that would be nice. Of uh, you know how uh, if you've got any first-hand experience of how culturally Chinese companies coming into the region uh, have fared or, or some of the struggles that they had, that would be nice, I guess. Mm, I think the Chinese uh, tech companies who have come into Southeast Asia has been very patient, patient and very. Uh, they have actually spent a lot of time understanding the market and localized their services towards the market. I think one of the things that seems to be becoming clearer to me is that they, for expanding into Southeast Asia, they prefer buy versus build. Um, I'll just tell you a pretty interesting story. Uh, is that a lot of, um, whether it's Alibaba or Tencent, they have actually helped invigorate the region because it's no longer just the US companies that actually entering into this market. There's also the Chinese companies as well. So it's actually a very exciting time for us here, uh, partially because, um, and we are beginning to actually 
you know, reading TechNote or ChinaChannel.co to find out what these Chinese companies are doing up <laughs> their lane, right? So right. it's the same back here where people from China are so interested in what the, BA, the BAT is actually doing in this region, given that there's so much. And in this region, is truly a battle against external because I think China comp- competition is very intense, right? But now they're in the world where they're fight- they fighting against the world competitors like, you know, Amazon's, your Google's, your Facebook. So it's, it's actually a very interesting time for us here, whether it's in Singapore or any part of the Southeast Asia region. Yeah, but I guess, you know, each this subject is so broad, we can actually spend each episode talking about each part of Southeast Asia. So I think that yeah, that's definitely. something that we can leave for a future time. But also, Bernard, I'm curious. And so um, you mentioned uh, towards the beginning of the episode that, you know, you, you try some of some of the um, like Chinese Chinese apps and, and other 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 services. And so I'm curious, I mean, have you have you seen any significant adoption in, in Singapore in particular? Or, or what about in your own life? I mean, like what what mm-hmm. do you, what Chinese technology or, or apps do you use? So one of the banks in Singapore, uh, DBS, which is the Developmental Bank of Singapore, have done a major successful digital transformation. And they took a lot of inspiration from Tencent and Alibaba. And uh, the, the CEO's Purish Gupta made this comment and said that our competitors, not the other banks, but actually is tech companies like Google, Alibaba or Tencent. And they successfully developed this digital bank concept that actually they have signed up a million users in India. And I think they're now expanding into Indonesia, which all the banking tools for this digital bank is actually done on a mobile app. And they are able to do banking overseas from Singapore, Indonesia, and India. And they're going to be focusing a lot on the middle class that's actually growing. So these are some of the effects of how the Chinese uh, tech spaces has actually inspired even very developed uh, companies like DBS in the region to now even learning from how they have done their uh, mobile apps. And if you have ever tried using the mobile Digibank for DBS, it's almost like using a WeChat uh, TenPay kind of system, or even like an Alipay where you can just do very quick Alipay. It's just that the QR codes haven't come in yet. Once the QR codes come in, I think it's almost that we are almost ready for a, a WeChat Alipay uh, competition here in, in Southeast Asia. So I guess, um, so I guess, in, in, in you know, so basically, what you're saying is that that WeChat and, and these these types of products are not ubiquitous necessarily just yet. In 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 yeah. particular, in Singapore, particularly for me, I have to turn on the Chinese version in order to get WeChat's full capability. But if I were to just use it as an English version, it doesn't have the full capabilities of what I can use in in China. Sure, I mean, when and when we talk about messaging, I think what's really interesting is that. You can see clearly across Asia, you know, um, you've got um, this fragmentation where you have WeChat in China, you have Kakao Talk in in South Korea, Line in Japan, and also Thailand, right, and mm. and uh, and Taiwan, and a little bit in Indonesia, and then we mentioned earlier in, in Vietnam, they have their local. Um, I'm sorry, am I saying it right? Zalo or Zalo? Yeah. I can't. I, I'm probably saying it incorrectly, but I did actually use it when I was there. Um, but we don't see that in the rest of the region, really. Um, when you go into like, um, there's, there doesn't I don't see there's any any other like champions. It seems to be more sort of Facebook domina- dominated, um, broadly speaking, across across the rest of the region. So I find that really really interesting. Of why what you know why is that? Why 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 has uh, the American companies been able to take some markets and not the others? So as I mentioned, right, they're very friendly to the U.S. technology. So. Um, t- WhatsApp, which is part of Facebook's uh, portfolio, is actually what is dominating with the emerging markets. And th- this is there's one question I always like to ask people who work with Facebook, and I think they don't, never give me an answer, is that why wouldn't WhatsApp clone WeChat? Because with the same features, they could easily dominate the entire Southeast Asia. But instead, they just allow things to fester. And now, if I were to be pretty honest, a lot of my friends on WeChat, 50% are coming from the US, Europe, and Asia and only 50% are from China. So imagine if I have utilized that market, what would it have looked like? So I, I guess what I, have, what I have not seen is WeChat being aggressive in trying to get more users in Southeast Asia. It's not that they don't have a shot, they do have a shot to compete for those users, but they haven't made significant uh, attempts to do it, which baffles me as well as it baffles me with what Facebook is not doing with WhatsApp. 
Mm, well, it's there's recent news that, uh, for example, in Malaysia, they're going to open the the wallet feature there. Um, and if they do get that going, I mean, that's a huge game changer for that market because I think WeChat, the, the, the advantage for them is, is payments right now. So uh, they're working against net, a very, very strong network effects uh, if they go head to head with Facebook products now. Um, but on the payments front, uh, I think things are still, uh, there's still opportunity there. And so I think that's, that's the strategy they're going for. Um, but to make that work in a sort of peer to peer uh, transactions with lucky money and things like that, which is what's really, um, you know, taken off in China. Uh, they have to get it, you know, uh, through the regular, a lot, a lot of red tape uh, in terms of the uh, working with the local institutions. Um, but it seems Malaysia that they're actually going for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and same thing in um, if I remember correctly, it was it was in um, in I'll have, to, I'll have to go back and look. But what, but we ran we ran a story about something similar where there's a startup in um, actually uh, creating a platform for uh, local merchants to to easily use uh, both Alipay and and WeChat. And so it seems that you know even even on the ground there already is that that in for for uh, mobile payments. Um, and it's actually, it's actually kind of interesting because you look at you know. Um, one of the big weaknesses for for Facebook right now is that they don't really have mobile payments, and they are rumored to be to be looking into it. Um, and so it is kind of interesting to see that you know on the one hand you know WeChat they're as as you say Matt they're very smartly they're not going to compete against uh, Facebook in terms of social, but they might just end up winning if they can if they can get people to convert via mobile payments. Yeah, That's sure. I don't the when you see it on the ground here. Um, I'm actually in, in, in Thailand today, and uh, the, when I, I, wherever I go, I always look on the subway and stuff and, and watch p- how people use their phones. I find it fascinating. Uh, hopefully, it's not too creepy. Um, but um, yeah, here, you know, people are addicted to Facebook. They're, they're really addicted to Facebook. That's kind of obvious. Um, but one, one thing I did notice actually was to, to, to diverge on a different topic is that people are playing Honor of Kings here as well. That's right. I was quite surprised. I saw, oh, Honor of Kings is, is, is in Thailand. And uh, yeah, it's definitely got, some, uh, got, got, got quite a user base, I think. Is it, is it localized or is it in Thai? Um, it must be, yeah. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to appear to. Uh, you know, I, I can just tell what people are doing on their phones, right? I said, oh, that's mm. obviously Honor of the Kings. That guy's playing there. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, there is a, a local version here, it seems. And um, and yeah, when that, when, you know, they're, they're, there's been a lot of talk recently about Honor yeah. of Kings and, and 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 the internationalization of of the product as well, because they're, they're they're definitely taking it to the to the U.S. market and and and, and Europe and places like that. Yeah, but apparently. It's it's going to be called um, Strike of King. Um, yes, yeah, that's right. This yeah. is they they haven't done a good job of naming it, but that's that's a different discussion. <laughs> I hope it's a working title. Yeah. We'll we'll see we'll see. Well, um, well, Bernard, uh, before we do close, um, you know, can you just uh, tell us a little bit about uh, where where people can find you? You can find me at my Twitter blongcw at b-l-e-o-n-g-c-w or you can find me with my podcast Analyze Asia A-N-A-L-Y-S-E dot Asia and um, of course John you're always welcome to come on my show and Matthew I will definitely get you another time on this good stuff sounds great sounds great well Bernard thanks, thanks, thanks again so much for taking the time to join us it was a, it was a very interesting um, conversation and uh, to our listeners if you enjoyed this podcast please um, if you could leave us a review on iTunes or you know press that star button on, on Overcast or recommend us through, through Pocket Casts we would really appreciate it and it's a great way to show your support 